0: Morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, there is one more announcement that I just thought I'd share. So some of you know, uh, Pastor Sam, our Chinese uh, congregation pastor, has been. Uh, we've been planning his retirement for the end of this year, uh, and we had hoped that God would raise up a new uh, Mandarin-speaking pastor for us in that time. But God hasn't yet. So uh, our eldership together, with Pastor Sam, have um, agreed that it would be good for Pastor Sam to stay on until we get a new mandarin pastor which is good news a bit of a continuation uh, there the Congre- chinese congregation clapped when i announced that this morning uh they're very excited to have sam staying uh for this uh, time ahead and some of you know that um uh, sam's wife coria has uh, just had some surgery as well so i'm just going to pray for her and give thanks to god for them and then we'll hear from god's word Our father we want to thank you for pastor sam uh lord and for coria uh, and just the the way that you've used them over many years to share the good news about Jesus with a a whole lot of people and for the many that have responded. And Lord, we just ask that you would comfort them at the moment strengthen and heal Coria, uh, Lord, and restore her quickly and reduce her pain. And also we ask that you would strengthen and empower Pastor Sam for the season ahead and that you would raise up uh, the person that you would have to take his place in this church. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. And we ask you to bless the preaching of your word. Amen. Amen. Well, I was uh, sometimes I go jogging through the bushland, and I like to get out on the trails, as they say. And one of the things I've noticed as we're coming into spring is that the trails become more and more overgrown, and there's less and less people out there, because there's these... Small, slithering things called snakes that like to come out in spring. And so there's less and less people on the trails. And some of the trails get so overgrown, you don't even know where you're going. So you'll have to you know, work out, do I turn left, do I turn right? Because no one has trodden down the grass to make the trail clear. And as we've been looking through our text in 1 Peter 3 in particular, we have some historic Christian teaching that has been around for 2,000 years or thereabouts about how wives and husbands are to treat one another within marriage. But this teaching seems to have been forgotten by many or ignored by many, a bit like those that stop going on the trails. And so the trails get so overgrown, you can't even see them anymore, and so you don't know where to go. And so when we come to texts like this one, which are quite controversial uh, in our day and age, and uh, in many ways go against our cultural direction, at least on the surface level, Uh, we get a bit confused. and Sometimes we try and avoid things like that. However, uh, one of the things that we really value here at City Reach Marion is taking God at his word. So we pick up the Bible, we open it, and we see what God has to say to us because we recognize that the God of the universe who's big and out there, we can't really see, has come near in the person of Jesus Christ and he wants us to know him and he cares about our marriages, and he cares about how we treat one another, and he has a view on these things which comes out of our design, not just out of culture. His view doesn't change, it is the same, and so we are in a privileged position because it's a very hot, topical thing at the moment to look at this. I go, what does God have to say on no the matter? What, what does the designer and creator of humanity have to say about this very important human relationship, how it ought to function? And it's important for those of us who are single, dating, or engaged, married, widowed, divorced, because this is a picture of how God loves and cares for his people. And so we're going to see that this morning as we look at part two. We actually. I've taken a bit more time on this particular text. Last week was part one. If you haven't heard it yet, feel free to look it up online. This is part two of the inner beauty of Christian marriage. So first I want to talk to you about an unfading beauty that we see in our text. Now it it sort of digs straight into the complexities of marriage, this text. We we get it in verse one, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that... Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. It's straight away saying in the church which Peter was addressing, there were um, marriages where the wife was converted, she'd come to faith, and this is often the case in the reverse, the husband will be converted and the wife won't be, whatever. And they are having issues in their marriage because of the faith. That's pretty normal. So what do you do with that? So straight away, we recognize marriage is challenging. And yet God has a way. God has a way that wives would witness with their amazing, beautiful lives to their husbands. So that even if the husband won't listen to the words that they say, they'll look at their life and go, this woman is different. Or in the reverse, uh, the unbelieving wife might look at the believing husband and go, this man is not like everyone else. He's different ask why, and perhaps even come to faith in Jesus as a result. So we we can understand that marriage can be challenging. Marriage can be difficult. Human relationships are difficult and challenging at times, but there is an encouragement here that God knows about this. He makes provision and instruction for us how to handle it. And one of the things that he wants to help us to, to do is to stop looking at outward appearance. Look for an unfading beauty rather than one that fades away. This is what we get in verse uh, 3. It says, Do not let your adorning be external. gives examples. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewellery, or the clothing you wear. Now this is obviously um, directed towards women. I don't see many men with braided hair. That's fine if you want to do that. But it's generally directed towards women here. But of course, men can just as much focus on outward appearance as women can. So this has some general application for both of us. But obviously, these things fade away, don't they? You know, as you get older, your hair changes colour. You know, my hair will not be this glorious red forever, (laughs) will it? You know, it will change. You know, our bodies don't look like they used to. And as you get older, some of us struggle with that. And some of us are okay with that because we aren't looking to the outward appearance, but to the hidden person of the heart. So there's kind of two ways to look, isn't there? You can be focused on outward appearance, which our culture, I, you know, and I know, is obsessed with outward appearance. So we are devising technology. Uh, you know, we put on makeup in the morning. We we look after ourselves, but sometimes we can make it everything in our lives about outward appearance. And there's this fascinating word, which in our uh, English Bibles, it says, uh, do not let your adorning, the word adorning, uh, be external. But in the Greek, which is the um, original language of the New Testament, in the Greek it comes from the word cosmos, which is the word for world. Cosmos. Don't let your world be external. As in, you know the idea, don't you? that everything in your world can be just on outward appearance rather than inward appearance. And this is the teaching here. Don't let your life be based on outward appearance because that is fading away. Don't be consumed by the thing. It's not like the braiding of hair or the wearing of jewellery or the clothing that you wear is wrong. We're not going to be a church of nudists, right? That's another church down the road. Don't go there. It's a bit weird. Right, that's, that's, to, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying, don't let that be your world. Don't let that be your world because logically we know. We get old and the more you focus on your external appearance as you get old, the more you will be disappointed by it. By it. But what does he say in verse 4? But let your adorning, listen to this, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, Beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Okay, so here we go. We've got the outward appearance, which is perishing. No, that's not news to most of us. But the inward person of the heart is imperishable. That is, it will not decay, it will stand the test of eternity. It will pass if you believe in Jesus Christ. The hidden person of the heart will pass into eternity. It will last for forever and it will grow and be more precious. And notice who it's precious to. It's very precious to God. It is very precious to God. Now, um, sometimes we get put off, offended, confused by the terminology here. Uh, the, it says... But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Does God want all women to be gentle and quiet in spirit? What do we think that means? You know, do, do aren't, are women not allowed to have uh, expressive personalities? No, I don't think so, because the hidden person of the heart who is gentle and quiet in spirit is someone who is confident in God's view of themselves and so their world is not external. They are confident in God's view of themselves so their world is not outward appearance. They know that God loves them and they are secure in that. Now, a gentle and quiet spirit you know, may seem a bit... Know, be putting down women but let's think about Jesus for a moment what is uh the what are one of the ways that the Bible describes Jesus it says uh, in the gospels that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart so what are women to do wives to do to adorn themselves be more like Jesus in their nature it says earlier in Uh, Chapter 2, talking about uh, Jesus in verse 23. It says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the sort of spirit that God wants to produce in his people, in Christian marriages, in wives, and, of course, in husbands, but here the focus is on wives because our propensity often is to focus on the outward, but God says that's going to pass away, you know, and you can fight it, you know, you can work on your... I just uh, There was, like, something in the news about how good Jennifer Aniston looks at the moment uh, at whatever age she is and how, you know, and how in good shape she is, but that will not go on forever, You know, she won't be on the front page of the newspapers in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time. Why? Because she can't keep it up. Her body is decaying. Don't focus on those things that that make that your world because it is going to pass away. doesn't mean we don't look after our bodies. doesn't mean we can't have nice clothing. But if that is your consuming opinion of yourself, it will bitterly disappoint you. Let me put it this way. The more you focus on external beauty, the more you'll be enslaved by it and ultimately disappointed. But the more you focus on the hidden person of the heart, the more you will be free and joyful, even into old age and death. Let's think about it in terms of investments, right? In Australian law, if you are employed by someone, you have to put away superannuation. It's about 10.5% the moment, superannuation, the point being is that you're making an investment for your later age when you retire, right, you're setting money aside and it would be silly not to do that because when you get to the end and you have no money set aside, well you'll be like I should have done that earlier, it's, it's very much the same with focusing on outward appearance, why spend the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years obsessing about outward appearance, when at the end it's not going to pay out. Far better to focus on developing the inner person of the heart, developing a good character, someone who is filled with a sense that God loves them, that is of growing character in gentleness and a quiet spirit like Jesus, which is very precious in God's sight. There's a fascinating um Thing in verse 5, and it gives us an example now. It says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves or beautify themselves, it says, by submitting to their own husbands. So, yes, there is an order within a husband wife relationship. We'll get more to the husbands a little bit later, don't worry. The husbands have things to do as well within that relationship. And we must remember that when a wife submits to her husband, Uh, She is to honour him, but it doesn't mean that she puts up with abuse. It doesn't mean that she puts up with uh, husbands who abandon them and enslave them. That's not on. That's not a biblical idea whatsoever. The model of husbands um, leading their family and their wives is one of humble servant leadership in love. Okay, So we just need to dismiss the unhelpful ideas. But we must see that there is a beautifying aspect That happens within the marriage, so that as a wife entrusts herself to God, you know, who hopes in God, uh, she submits to her husband and, like, supporting him as uh, the head of home, supporting him and making some of those decisions and charting the course for good for that marriage and that family. So this is an ideal situation, of course she will become more beautiful on the inside. She will grow to be more like Jesus. She'll be beautified spiritually. Of course, the same is true for the husband. The same is true for the husband who loves and serves his wife with a humble spirit. He will become more beautiful on the inside. He will look more like Jesus because that's who Jesus is. It's fascinating that we're in a moment in our culture where culture is utterly rejecting this view of marriage and this view of uh, a husband and wife relating to one another and becoming more godless at the same time. Because when we see that this actually comes out of who God is, his very nature and character in Jesus Christ, and that's really the, the strongest connection in the text that we have, then the closer we come to God, the closer our marriages should look like this. So what happens if your spouse, as they do, because you say these vows when you get married, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, you know, as long as you both shall live. And if you say, I do, which you should when you get married, you're committing to that person even as things get troublesome, which they always do. So if your spouse is sick in their body or their mind, and perhaps their outward beauty, and sometimes their inward beauty has faded, how will you love them? Because that will happen. And sometimes we're just attracted to the beauty that someone has, rather than a bit deeper into the person that they are on the inside. And what happens when perhaps the person on the, the inside is difficult to deal with? The only way that we can face this is if we entrust ourselves to God. When we have a vision that if God can satisfy us in our marriage, if God can satisfy us in our marriage, I didn't say your husband or your wife can satisfy you in marriage, if God can satisfy me, my marriage, then I have enough strength from Him to love them even when they're not very lovable. And that, I tell you, will be a beautifying experience on the inside because you are starting to understand what God is really like because God is someone who loves the unlovely. The Bible tells us that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is in his very nature to love the unlovely. That's why the Christian faith is all about grace. You don't have to come to church and make yourself a good person to be accepted by God. That's the whole point of communion. The whole point of communion is that Jesus has done what we could not do so that Through him, we would be accepted by God. And so if you are in a difficult place in regards to marriage, wherever you're at on that spectrum I mentioned earlier, the only way to handle it is to see Christ as enough. And so we ought to look to him. Now I mentioned uh, last week that we were... Last week we were building the foundation and this week we'd build the structure because the text has a lot to say about uh, how men and husbands and wives ought to relate to one another but we need to actually interact with where our culture's at at the moment. So we did that last week but as we build the building on top and we realise that actually there's a beauty to Christian marriage, there's a beauty to what it ought to look like even in its complexity and even in its difficulty, um, we're building this building. And the building looks good and it looks great as we build it more and more, as people take this seriously and they live it out with intentionality. But that just proves the foundation. So, you know, like if you went to look at a really tall skyscraper and if you're an engineer, you would know that as far as it goes up, you know, it must have a really solid foundation underneath it. And the higher it goes, the more solid the foundation must be. And that is the case with Christian marriage. The more our marriage must grow, the stronger the foundation must be. And the foundation is Jesus. So first we've looked at an unfading beauty, one that isn't focused on outward appearance. Don't make that your world. Look to the inward beauty, growing a relationship with God which is, that to be your world and focus, and so the other things won't consume and enslave you. And that helps us in the difficult times of life as well. But there is more. There is also a servant's beauty. That is, the husband is supposed to serve and love his wife. We see this in verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now we mentioned last week that that idea of weaker vessel is probably just talking about uh, that men are generally stronger and more physical in size than women. Not always, but most of the time. And so don't use your power, but we've also recognised your physical power to abuse or domineer. We've also realised that culturally, over history, men have often been in the position of power. And so the point is, don't use your power to control. That's not what it's about. It's not about control, it's about serving. So there is this servant's beauty. And the point of it is to be that we must see that the beauty of Christian marriage doesn't come from taking control, but it comes from serving one another in love. However,. This text is very confusing in Australia, because Australians don't like the idea that men and women might have different roles within the marriage. We don't like it. It's culturally inappropriate. However, this is a very interesting current study that was just done, the stats just came out for women and men in India. Listen to this. This is from the Pew Research Centre, it says. More than half a century ago, India was one of the first countries in the world to elect a woman as prime minister and the country currently has several highly influential women politicians, including Sonia Gandhi, uh, the head of one of the major national parties. So in terms of uh, like civil society, men and women can have parity. You know, There's, there's been many uh, women who are heads of political um, parties, Prime Ministers, even heads of state. However, it says this today most Indians say that women and men make, oh sorry, going along with that, so today most Indians say women and men make equally good political leaders. However, about 9 in 10, so 90% of Indians agree with the notion that a wife must always obey her husband. 90% think that a wife must always obey her husband. Isn't that interesting? So, in Australia, we think everything needs to be equal. Yet, in India, this is a, like there's not a Christian country by any means. They just have a very different cultural view. So, who's right? You know, and in our subjective truth culture, we say, well, they're both right. How can they both be right? What measure do we have for these? My point of bringing this up is to say that our culture has very strong views, but they are ever-changing. They change depending on what country of origin you have. They change depending on what century you're in. If you're just going to listen to the prevailing winds of culture, you will not have a good recipe for success, particularly in one of the most complicated relationships you'll ever have, which is marriage. Divorce rates are up. Marriages are down. There's less people getting married, there's more people getting divorced. Why? Because we're losing the foundations of it. Our current cultural trends are not helping us have better marriages. Marriages are not even happier than they were before, those that stick by the cultural rules. So whatever the formula that we've got in Western countries, particularly like Australia, it's actually not working for us. So we must examine and dig a bit deeper and go, well, maybe the model itself is wrong. So if I was to preach this message and, and just stick to the text, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, I would have 90% agreement in India. No matter, like Christian, not Christian, Hindi, Muslim, whatever. Most 90% agreement there. However, if I was to say this next part about husbands caring for their wife, and if they don't do it, that will hinder their relationship with God, they would be utterly offended. Absolutely offended. Why? Because your marriage relationship should have nothing to do with your relationship with heaven. In Indian standards. Why? Because you have earned your position in the caste system in India. You know, you have earned it through a previous good life. And so in in a past life, you lived a good life, and so that's the position that you're in, and so you have special access no matter where you are to God, and nothing should be able to hinder that because you deserve it. And so this message that's saying that at the end of verse 7, so that your prayers may not be hindered, will be utterly offensive to the Indian person. And yet we think in Australia the idea that God cares about our personal relationships and that men treat women well is a good thing. So let us see that God's vision of marriage supersedes our cultural visions. We can't not look from our cultural position, but God has something far better for us. So, what are men supposed to do? What are husbands supposed to do in a husband and wife relationship? It says, understand your wife. Live with your wives in an understanding way. When we did our premarital counseling, my wife and I, before we got married, one of the ideas and sort of implying this put forward was to become the best student of your wife that you can be. Study them. Get to know them, understand them really well. This is much deeper than the sort of cultural idea of happy wife, happy life. Pastor Sam told me that's also an ancient Chinese proverb apparently. Classic, isn't it? But this is deeper. This is saying, husbands, seek the good of your spouse. Treat them in a way where you really understand where they're coming from because you have the potential, like both sides in a husband-wife relationship do, to think that you know better without actually listening. It's essentially saying listen with an open ear because though husbands might have the final say, though husbands are to lead and to perhaps make the final call doesn't mean the opinion of the other is any lesser. Another way to put this is the husband and wife's opinions ought to have equal weight, absolutely equal. Why? Why? says here in the text, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So don't, and this is less applicable um, in our modern day Australia, but don't use your cultural position as a man to domineer and think that your opinion is more important. Don't use your size as a man to think that your opinion is more important. Though you must lead and take up responsibility in the marriage relationship, we are to live with our wives in an understanding way, showing honour to them when we lift them up. We don't put them down. That is the example we have in the text. So, this is a very countercultural way, but when we get the heart of it, we actually realise that this is an amazing vision. A very perhaps difficult vision to achieve, but an amazing vision of what marriage ought to be. Well, you notice something in verse 5 and verse 7. It says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And then uh, verse 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. As in the reasoning for why wives uh, ought to you know, submit to their husbands and honour them. And why husbands ought to uh, listen and be understanding to their wives and honour them in the particular ways they ought to function with one another it comes out of their faith. It comes out of their faith. Let me put it another way. You cannot obey this law unless you have Jesus as Lord. You can't do it. Because if, if you're a man and you decide, well, I'm not going to domineer but you don't have Jesus, you will still try and manipulate to your own personal ends because you have no one else that you're doing it for, ultimately. You might treat them well so that they will treat you well in the end. And that can so easily turn into manipulation. Just a different form of domineering. It's trying to exert power. And the wife will do that as much to the husband. And we know how that builds up into tension and conflict. And yet, if you have Jesus as Lord, you're doing it for someone else. And so you can give freely to your husband or to your wife without needing them to do it for you in return. This is the secret ingredient to a marriage because it's so often, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. You know, If you love me well, I'll love you back. That's never going to work. No wonder our divorce rates are high because we have a transactional idea of relationships. If you uphold your end of the bargain, I'll uphold mine. People think of a marriage, when they get married, it's a contract. You do your bits, I'll do mine. And we say all this ridiculous stuff like I'll love you forever to the end of the earth. But we don't mean that. We only mean only if you're good to me that I'll look after you. And, if, you know, and then we'll just call it quits. We'll cancel the contract if it doesn't happen. And yet God's plan is a covenant bound together by him So that when the husband and wife get together, they look to God for their satisfaction, not to the other person. Though we still need each other, but in first place comes God. This instruction for men, this servant's beauty, has a warning. It says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman. As the weaker vessels, and so the heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me put it this way: God closes the doors of heaven to men who dominate, as so husbands who domineer their wives. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Like that's serious. Doors of heaven are closed. God will not answer your prayers if a husband is treating his wife badly. Now, of course, this of course, would work in the reverse too with the wife treating the husband badly. But what does it show? God does not just care about outward appearances. You can present well as a husband and wife and turn up to church or you know, social occasions, but internally you can be at war, domineering, backbiting, you know, not honouring one another at all, not, a, not uh, having a, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Constantly at war, and God knows, you can hide from everyone else. You can never hide from God. And so we see that the tr- it's true in the positive that as our relationship with God grows, your relationship with your spouse will grow and prosper and flourish. But as your relationship with God declines, so will your relationship with your spouse. And if your relationship with your spouse has declined, then quite likely your relationship with God is declined. Now, this is not always the case. Let me say this. It's already, we've already made provision for it in the text in verse 1. Some spouses will have one who is not obeying the word. God knows. Sometimes you will do your best and the other person will fail you and they will stop honouring God and they will turn away from him. This brings us to our third point, looking at the inner beauty of Christian marriage. How do we raise beauty from the ashes? This is when things go wrong. How do we raise beauty from the ashes? Well, in the Harry Potter universe, don't you love Harry Potter? I do. Don't don't worry about the hocus-pocus stuff. It's just fiction, okay? It's just fiction. In the Harry Potter universe, there is a creature called the phoenix, famous for bursting into flames and then being reborn from the ashes. It's a great creature, isn't it? And its tears, get this, are reported to be able to bring a person back from near death. And the song of the phoenix can increase the courage of the good person and cast fear into the hearts of the evil person. So in um, the book, The Chamber of Secrets, in the climax of the book, Harry's out battling this vicious uh, serpent called the basilisk. And the basilisk has this venom which will kill you And Harry, though he defeats the creature, is struck by the venom of the basilisk. And then the phoenix turns up, reborn from the ashes, and cries its tears into the wound, and Harry is healed. His death blow is recovered from by the tears of the phoenix. So let me ask you this. How can marriages be healed when they are dysfunctional? How can we recover when we have been domineered or we have been the domineering person? Either using our physical strength, our our strength of personality, our cultural power to take down our husband or our wife. How can we recover when we've been a part of it? How can we recover when we've we've been the victim of it? How can we be freed from the pool, the pool of materialism which crushes us, making our world external appearance? How can we treasure the hidden person of the heart more than what's outside when everything in our heart and our mind and our body and our culture is telling us focus on the outside? You might even be feeling like that right now. There's real tension, this wrestle, this battle internally. The Bible tells us Jesus offers us his tears to heal our wounds. He offers us the power of his resurrection grace to grant us courage to live a life which is utterly different and holy, set apart, distinct from the world. Whether we're single and we uphold this vision of a beautiful marriage, even if we will never take part in it. Why? Because Jesus was single and he was the perfect man whether we're married and things are well, we need a great foundation. Whether we're struggling, and we will struggle, we need to know what that strong foundation is, that inward beauty of a marriage. Whether we're divorced and we've seen the bad side, we need to know that there's hope for us. There's resurrection hope. There's someone out there that's risen from the dead that makes beauty out of ashes. If we're widowed, if that person has left us, They've gone to be with the Lord or not. We need to know that there is a hope that is imperishable, that will not fade, and that he is enough, and it comes from him. To close out this two weeks, this is a mini-series within a series, I want to tell you about the unfading beauty of Christ. There's this amazing verse in Isaiah 53, it's this sort of song proclaiming the coming Lord and Saviour of the world, Jesus. And Isaiah 53 three two says this about Jesus. It says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You got that? God's own son... The creator of the universe had no external beauty that we should desire him. On the outside, he was a normal person. He wasn't one of the beautiful ones on the outside. His outward appearance was nothing special. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever considered that? So what is it about Jesus that is beautiful? It's the hidden person of the heart. It's who he is. And that stands forever. That has been a message that has been proclaimed for 2,000 years, a message of beauty that Christian husbands and wives have been able to look to and go, he's enough because we have this Christ this Jesus who gave himself for us in the most beautiful act humanity has ever seen Galatians 2:20 it says the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me that's enough that's enough for the marriage That's enough for the divorced person. That's enough for the widowed. That's enough for the single person. No matter where you are, that is enough. Marriage ought only be a picture of who he is. Singleness ought only be a picture of who he is. Divorce. When you have been divorced, you should only be moving to a picture of who Jesus is and that he might be enough in your brokenness and sorrow. In widowhood, Jesus the picture of him who on the outside was nothing to be decided on the inside has an inner beauty that will never fade if his inner beauty is enough for you you have this imperishable beauty that will never fade it will never pass away we will become beautiful it says in 1 Peter 2:24 by his wounds it says by his wounds we are healed what he has done. There's this great song um, by, it's a Christian, uh, it's a song we sing often actually here. It's called The Servant King by Graham Kendry. And this is the, uh, the words, uh, with the lyrics in one of the verses. It says, There in the garden of tears, my heavy load he chose to bear. His heart with sorrow was torn. Yet not my will, but yours, he said. The servant king, the beautiful king, the one who rose from the dead so that no matter what difficulty, destruction, tearful, sorrowful experience we've had or even if it's been pretty good, we still look to him because he is the one that brings beauty out of ashes He's the one that resurrects a broken heart. He's the one that pulls together a broken marriage. He's the one that uplifts a broken life and gives it grace. And so for you and I this morning, and for you and I as we continue this life, this pilgrimage, this 1 Peter is about a pilgrimage of life through this world, through all of our challenges and difficulties and our highs and wonderful things. We need a picture of a beautiful Jesus. Not on the outside, but on the inner hidden person of the heart because that will change you and empower you more than anything else. Let me pray now together. and Will you pray with me? that God would make these things real to us and to those who even don't know him. Our Father, we want to thank you for this picture of marriage. We want to thank you that it's so countercultural. the only way that we can see it happening is as if, as if you're in it. And Lord, we only want it if you're in it. And so we ask that you would work in our personal lives to make yourself, Lord Jesus, so real Lord, that we would only want what you want, that you would be enough in every circumstance. In our hardships, in our good times, we say, Lord Jesus, that you are worthy to be praised by our lives, but we cannot do it by ourselves, so give us your grace. I pray that every person here would know uh, your hand even upon them now, that these words would come home for us. We commit ourselves to you and give you thanks for our time together in your word, in Jesus' name, amen.